inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. Outlook. Radio Western. Good morning and welcome to another at-home edition of Outlook here on this Monday morning. Hi Carrie, how are you doing today? Great. Loving this loving this cooler weather before the heat kicks in again. But oh, the yeah, summer, is summer's our, just flying by. What is this our regular weather talk in the intro of every yep. show? Well, okay, sorry. We 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 were just doing it off the air for a minute, so I just sort of continued it on. But uh yeah, Welcome back to Outlook, everybody. Uh, and we got another guest today, and it's great. I love having guests on the show. Uh, yeah, and so this one, um, well, I think maybe we're still battling out to see who is uh, the favorite aunt, but that's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so our guest today is sort of, well, related, part of the family now, uh, but... Um, she just happens to have a job that I wanted to talk about on Outlook, and she agreed to come on. So thanks, Melissa, for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so yeah. honored. <laughs> so um, as I kind of said there in the beginning, um, Melissa, uh, we met Melissa about 10 years ago now when she came in back to town or to the area when her brother married our sister. So... Brian, I say that slow because I know I'll mess up and I'll say her sister married our brother. But yeah, sometimes anyway. we get mixed up with families <laughs> and who's who. And, uh, but yeah, I guess that is pretty much when we met. I think I remember still the night before the wedding back in, that was like 2009 now, I guess. So eleven, yeah. almost 11 years ago. Yeah, time flies by. Yeah, yeah, really. So Melissa, you're, you're um, talking to us all the way from where? Alberta, Grand Prairie, Alberta, and that's right. two hours behind in uh, from Ontario, I think, or is that yes, two hours, two hours behind? Yeah, so we've been having a lot of guests in Mountain Time recently. Our <laughs> guest from last week was in Colorado. We've had another guest from Colorado a couple months ago. So, kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so maybe you want to start talking a little bit. Just tell us a bit about yourself, like, um, what where you grew up for the listeners and and what, what you like to do growing up. Sure. So I grew up in Ingersoll, Ontario, born and raised there. And I, <laughs> I worked at Subway Sandwiches and I decided that I needed some adventure in my life. So I moved to Alberta with a friend. And when I first got to Alberta, I worked in the hotel industry. And then I had a friend who worked in the, uh, personal care at a retirement home and so then I got my foot in my door in, or my foot through the door there oh. and then I met another co-worker who worked in the school and she asked me to come work with a boy who needed help and that's kind of how I've got to where I am now <laughs> wow yeah. yeah no I didn't I didn't quite realize the jobs you previously had but you know common thing for people that want to seek out some 
adventure out west. So, yeah, I never in a million years thought I'd be working in a school because honestly, growing up, I hated school. <laughs> Now I work in one, <laughs> but I love it. I it's very fulfilling. Um, my first position I got was in a high school working with a boy with cerebral palsy. So I think because I worked with the elderly and the personal care skills I had, that's kind of what got my foot through the door there. Mm -hmm. And so I was very fortunate that way. And then it was about six years later that I met the student that I work with now. So what year was that you went out there? Then I'm my math won't. I moved out here 2005. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. And I became an EA, I don't even know, I think it was 2009 then. Right. Yeah, about four or five years after I was here. I always find that funny when somebody who just did, did not take to school growing up ends up, ends up working there and helping others maybe like it a little more, maybe not, but at least get through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But high school first, so that's yeah. some good training there. Yeah, and then I went to an elementary school. I worked in a kindergarten class for three years, and my third year in that class is when I met my student that I work with now with visual impairments, and I've been with him ever since. So it's been eight years now that I've been working with him. So was it with other students the first few years? or Yeah, so we had about five different students in our kindergarten class that needed extra supports. And uh, so, yeah, we were, there was about three or four of us EAs in the classroom at the same time, right. kind of working together with these students and with the other classroom students as well. And then, yeah, it was my third year in kindergarten when my student came into our class and he needed an EA to learn Braille. And so my principal approached me and asked me if I would be willing to do that on my own time because they wouldn't have time for me to learn it in the school. Oh, so right. I, I accepted and they actually paid for the whole, I think it was called Mastering Literacy Braille. I did that uh, course and they paid for that, but then it changed to the United English Braille. Right. Yeah. We've mm -hmm. talked about that before, the... The Braille we grew up with. I'm, yeah, they I'm switched it, it a few years ago, and it's 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 quite similar, but still different in, in a lot of ways. And I kind of still stick with the older Braille at the moment, but one of these days. I know, Carrie, you've you've been learning or practicing the yep. UEB yeah. Unified. UEB. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was kind of cool. I'm, I feel fortunate, too, that I got to learn both, really. I Yeah, yeah, you're kind of right on the cusp of it then. Yeah. Yeah, totally. so you did learn both. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. So now working uh, with a student for the past eight years, are you still working with other students as well, or is this is this pretty much the, the only one? Um, because he's in junior high now, he is the only one that I work with. I'm strictly with him. But when we are in the classroom, like, I will float around and help other students who need support, but mostly focused on him. Now, do you notice a difference working with one student compared to in the past when you were working with a student for a year or two and then working with like more like different students at, at the same time? Definitely. I mean, when you, every year you get a different student, you have to learn their diagnosis and their character and what magic tricks work with them and what don't. And like, cause every student's different. Right. 
Um, I subbed for a year and that was difficult because you get into a classroom where you don't know anybody, you don't know the teachers, you don't know the EAs, you don't know the students and you kind of just have to improvise and learn as you go. So being with the student I am now with now for eight years, like I know him so well, it's almost like he's my own child. Like I know what he's thinking before he even knows what he's thinking, you know, and so I can predict things and I can help support him in more ways than just one. Right. Yeah, and I mean, we can tie that into when we grew up because we were lucky to have the same um, EA and Braille teacher through pretty much all of elementary school, um, whereas I feel like a lot of a lot of kids don't have that get that option. So it's nice, even especially for the kid to have the same person for a number of years, just someone that they're used to and comfortable around. And, and consistency. And yeah. And we've developed a relationship with the family, too. So we get together outside of school as well. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, so Brian and I have talked about it before on this show. Uh, we had um, assistants in the classroom also growing up when we were in school. Uh, so same school that our, our peers and friends and siblings went to, we went to. So um, being that I was three years first, uh, I I started kindergarten. I didn't do pre, um, junior kindergarten. I started kindergarten, and I had uh, enough sight then, so I was just low vision. So I was able to learn how to use a like a, a pencil and crayons and all the play is just easy in your in kindergarten. But then in the first grade, the school board did uh, get me a pupil aid. It's funny there were I was going to ask what you your you officially call what you do because I've heard different names over the years. Maybe they switch with the times or when I began it was a teacher's aide and then I don't quite recall what year but they transitioned to an educational assistant right because you're not I think I don't know I'm just assuming it's because you're not assisting the teacher so much you're assisting the students right right Mm -hmm. yeah I mean Brian and I recently made a joke. We're just reflect, commenting on how uh, some people, some places, it's called a vision teacher. Okay, yeah, but it was just different for Brian and I because we started with like a an educational assistant, and then we got technically another um, teacher once we were both in school there. Eventually, so we got a Braille teacher as well. But our our pupil aide did eventually learn Braille. Um, and became just, I guess, a transcriber, they used to call her. Yeah, my uh, my visual consultant, she calls me a Braille transcriptionist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so many different names that all so mean fancy. the same thing, essentially. <laughs> They're just all always yeah. changing. And uh, yeah, a big, big discussion that came up recently that we've been talking about on the show um, with the National Federation of the Blind and stuff we've been involved in is um, the president of this organization did a speech this year focusing on words in general and a common theme was the word was the word blind and how people still find that word they can be ashamed to say it or admit it or there's still some negative connotations and some of these some of the names when they say like Carrie mentioned the example of vision teacher you know it's it's kind of dancing around the word instead of just saying they're it's a teacher for the blind or teacher for blind students or something so it's just it's just interesting to think about all these terms that that people use for certain positions and Mm -hmm. definitely and what i've been taught over the years with the whole blindness community is 
to phrase it as someone with a visual impairment, because if you say blind, someone will think automatically that they're completely blind, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. So I try to be a little bit more careful with how I word it, maybe. I don't know. And that's the problem. <laughs> we always talk about that. Uh, it's, it's a you know, general discussion in society all over the place these days about words to use for things and it it changes over the years uh but whether you're you're a blind blind person the student or whether you're the teacher um who did you say your your visual assistant who, who did you uh consultant consultant what's yes. that um so she's part of like the like the speech therapists and all that who mm-hmm. help kids who need extra support and she's our consultant. So like anytime I need any guidance or anything, she, I can reach her, call her, email her. Um, she supports me in all my learning and like setting me up with everything. So we order everything from Edmonton from this library. She's helped me with all that, just kind of guiding and supporting, I guess. Mm. And then she is also in contact with his family and sets him up with o- O&M and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. So the O&M's a separate thing. You're not he, part of that. I'm not, but we, yeah. um, they will come to his school and take him right out of school and do his right. O&M lesson. And then I get a chance to meet these O&M instructors and then I'll ask for advice and like, can you show me a couple skills so, you know, we can build on them at school as well. So I try. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no, yeah. of course. Um, so, not ha- shouldn't have to say, but, you know, we're trying to talk more about these days. There are lots of different um, disabilities, and every child is at a different level, develop- developmental level and, and educational level, and they need different things. And uh, so, yeah, it can be a juggling act, all the different therapy they might need and things and but um mm-hmm. I am um, <clears throat> I wanted to have um, Melissa on the show today because I just wanted to talk about these jobs and uh, get you to get to hear a bit of about from someone who has one but, yeah it's um, really interesting because we grew up with these assistants and teachers and stuff like that in, in growing up in school but now to see it from an adult and see someone doing it Starting it now in this new generation and new time that we're in, it's just interesting to get that that perspective and seeing it kind of from from the outside. Mm-hmm. It really made a difference to our education growing up. So even though you specifically aren't um, <laughs> my teacher in school, right? Like I can just I'm just grateful to everyone of you, including you yourself, mm-hmm. Melissa, for. Yeah, anyone who who chooses or finds that type of work is just, I don't know. I know these days work in general is a tough thing, and it's hard to say how many people keep up in these fields. And so it's always refreshing to see someone still still doing this such important um, st- stuff in the in the in the world. And um, yeah, it's just it's it's very very exciting, and especially the braille part. Um, maybe <laughs> talking a little bit more about that because I don't know how much you are aware of it, but there is, or how much you could speak on it, but there is a lot of discussion I've been hearing lately about their Braille being phased out a little bit or not, not taught as much just because of technology and people being able to talk to their phones and do everything with voice and all of this. But 
for for us we feel like braille is just super important so that's a really a really great thing to hear that you're still it's still being taught and i was just curious a little bit about that if if mm-hmm. um how that was in the beginning and well i'm a i I assume everyone's different, but with our experience, my student isn't so much into the Braille. He's so smart, and he could do so well with Braille if he wanted to, but he is way more techie. He's more into, he has a little bit of vision in one of his eyes where he can see light and color, and his other eye is completely blind. So I feel like everything in his life, as long as it lights up and makes a noise, it's exciting for him, right. and Braille doesn't. <laughs> Um, we do have a Braille note touch for him now, which got him more into Braille, which helped. Making but it a little more. Th- that kind of phased out again that. too, right? And then we do a lot of speech to text just to keep up with the work because the Braille skills just aren't quite there yet. Right. Like he can't Braille fast and he's just not into it. Um, so that's the challenge we have. And yeah, like all the kids in class have a touchscreen Chromebook or an iPad or cell phones. And that does kind of look like the way we're going to go because I have been taking some lessons on iOS training with, uh, what's it called, voiceover? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the finger gestures and all that. And he's actually just got a cell phone. It doesn't. He doesn't call anyone on it or anything, but he plays on it. And he's already learned all the gestures. So... <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, I do see in the future he is going to be a tech user. He's probably not going to write big essays on the Perkins Brailler or, you know, I don't know. It's funny. I I broke out the old Perkins Brailler the the other day for a few things. And it's really hard hard on the arms. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, mine might be older and so it might have to press harder to get the dots to come up. But, um, but, (laughs) yeah. Um, And that's a good thing, too about the technology um it's still including braille like you said it's a these Mm -hmm. electronic note takers and different things that at least for some children who don't seem to love the braille uh just a simple basic idea of the dots under your fingertips which brian Mm -hmm. and i always we still love but you know i we do know a lot of people who who never really got into braille reading in school right they were learned they were taught it but they they would mm-hmm. rather do something else. So um, having the technology brought in there, if you, if your student is a techie kind of person, then that should jazz it up a little bit. But mm-hmm. I'm still hoping for that day for that light switch to just flick and he'll just be like, wow, this is really easy, you know, because he, right. he knows his Braille. He's very good at it. He's just not into it. And then same with reading literature. He's just, you know, he knows like he could get it in audio and, or he knows someone will read it to him or yeah it's a tough um, it's a tough subject to to really speak on because it's it is different for everyone everyone yeah. like we talk about everyone's at a different level or not even that just everyone has different areas of interest or strength or um and it's also hard to compare when we grew up in the 90s where tech technology was a lot different and so braille back then was maybe a little a little more today there are so many more distractions and so much amazing technology that it it does seem kind of an old and not as exciting maybe um Mm -hmm. so it's kind of hard to compare it but i just think the main thing is that it's just kind of scary because i think being able to and I, i mean this is something anyone would could could imagine but just being able to actually read braille really helps with literacy and spelling and just all of those types of things so 
you know, mm-hmm. I, I hope it hope it survives in the in the future anyway. Even though, and that's why it is great that they have these braille displays that Carrie and I both also use, where you know we can still have braille, but it's lighter and we're not lugging these huge books around, and it's it does have a lot of advantages. So yeah, yeah, they're pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah. So, how, and how did you find learning Braille yourself at the time? I picked it up so quickly and easily, and I think that's why I love it so much. I found it almost addicting. Like I just wanted to keep learning and learning, and I, I don't know. I just love it. I type really fast. I can keep up really fast. When my teacher gives me an assignment, I'm super happy. I'm like, yeah, I can Braille. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, like I just love it. I could Braille for the rest of my life for sure. I definitely, no matter what, this will be my future. You could switch right over to doing it yourself. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah, I'd be interested in like brailing books or, I don't know, even at the library in Edmonton where they braille textbooks and all that kind of stuff or do tactile graphics. And I don't know, I find all that stuff pretty neat. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, like Brian just said, it's handy when you don't have to lug giant backpacks full of Braille books. Yeah, oh, yeah. thinking from back in the day when we'd have a math assignment, for example, and they'd say do questions one and two on page 36 and then question 10 on page 200. So then I'd have to, you know, bring like two huge volumes of Braille into my knapsack home. And it's just mm-hmm. so different now when everything is all on. I can have hundreds of books on my phone and just have a small Braille display with me and read everything. So it's much different that's one of my favorite things to show people is you see this textbook here now look at these 22 volumes (laughs) that is that one textbook (laughs) and they're just like wow really that's crazy and that's 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 an interesting interesting part about it because for me especially now it's hard to imagine um the two subjects that even near the end of high school where i finished in 2005 so technology was still at a different spot then obviously but Um, things did start to switch over quite a bit, but the two subjects that I still used Braille for primarily were math and French. So I was just kind of curious how that's gone, those, those subjects in particular, um, with, with Braille. Well, that's an interesting question. I'll start with French, first of all. So they started French, I'm thinking grade four here, maybe even, yeah. I don't know now, but when it did start, we decided that my student was going to, instead of go to French, he was going to go to a Braille fundamental class with me. And that would be a time where we would learn Braille fundamentals, such as tracking lessons, um, just all the Braille lessons, talking typer lessons, non-visual desktop access lessons, how to use his Braille note touch, how to use the Perkins. He had that Mount Batten for a while you know so it was a time when all the rest of his students went to French he would come with me and we would learn braille things because there was no other time during the day to learn any of those things like we would incorporate through the day but not actually sit down and focus on it so that was a decision made by his consultant and his parents to opt out on French okay so it's kind of sad but that's well, as I really said, everybody's unfolded. Yeah, every student is different and has different and, needs. And Braille is also super important as well. And like you say, there's only so much time in the day. And if you're doing, you know, you have to fit as much in as you can. And so it's definitely mm-hmm. a balance to figure out what 
is best for the student. And as for math, um, we try to do math on the Perkins, but that's so, it's very complicated for him. He just doesn't have the skills quite yet to format the embosser head where he mm. needs it and all that. Um, so we do most of our math on a math window. Have, did you guys ever use a math window? Have you heard of that term? No, like a mag- I haven't. It's I haven't a, okay, it's a magnetic um, board that has a frame. And all around it are these little magnetic numbers and functions and operations. And they're all mapped. So like all the ones are in the top left corner. And then the twos, threes, fours are in the top right corner. And then it goes down. So is it all mental mapped? And so as the teacher is teach, it's, it was basically made for when the teacher is making a lesson on the board, then the EA could recreate it right in front of the student. Right. A visual lesson, right? Um, so we've kind of just started, we've just been using that because the Braille skills aren't there on the Perkins to do the formulas or the math. So we just do it all on the math window and then we just clear it or I would take a photograph of it depending on what teacher I had because some teachers wanted proof and evidence of the work. Um, wow, there has neat. been times yeah, where yeah. I would Braille out what we've done and then hand that in, but then that's time consuming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. That's so really It's neat. tricky. Yeah. Those are always challenging subjects for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just in- interesting to think about the technology now. Like I know these, these new Braille displays that are, are coming out. Some of the ones where they have the standard displays that Carrie and I have used have one line, but they have the, they have a lot of newer ones now that have 40 lines of Braille that work well for tactile graphics and all of this kind of stuff we're talking about. So it's great oh, wow. to see how things are changing over time. And mm-hmm. yeah, but a math window that sounds fun. Yeah, yeah I know, they. I know Carrie loves math. So. It, it comes in handy, and he's a very tactile student too. He likes to feel. So anytime we learn like three D objects, or he's really good at angles. Anything that's where we get to actually touch something concrete he's into but as soon as it's just numbers on a page i mean he's still really good at it though it's just he doesn't have the skills on the perkins which we are working towards and i try to balance it out where we you know today we're going to do at least one question on the perkins and the rest we'll do on the math window Uh. type of thing yeah, I mean, I, I use, for most of the math I did in school, uh, I still had low vision, and I used, like, dark lined paper and dark markers. And uh, But it is a pain for people who don't know much about Perkins Brailers. Uh, if you're doing, like, columns in a math problem and you have to, like, move the, the paper up and down in the brailler and mm-hmm. get on the right line so you don't braille over what you already brailled. And, and yeah, it, it can be tricky to, to picture that into struggle with that which I know Brian know more than I do but that was the most challenging part because then you got to keep up with the other kids too so you know it might take him 20 minutes to do one question on the Perkins where now all the kids are done all the questions right and we only have one done yeah and then you know when they're done their work they get to move on to free time and there's never free time for us because we're always trying to catch up always trying to catch up yeah Mm-hmm. And that's something you had that you have to learn, and um, has to be has to be there for the student is like the ability to work, find workarounds. Uh, but yeah, 
you know, there's a pressure to want to, you know, and just to be like everyone else and keep up, obviously, so you don't fall behind and um, mm-hmm. so kids aren't out playing when you're still having to finish something up. But uh, yeah, that takes work and it takes things like what it's called the IEP, which is individual education uh, plan. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, and a lot of times, lot like of if work. the kids get 10 questions to do, then I'll give them only five right. as long as they're still reaching the goals and yeah, they're covering the same things. It's just a yeah. few less questions. Still get the concept across, but not have to That's right. be sitting there while, while the kids are playing. We are mm-hmm. coming up now on the halfway point of the show. So we are speaking wow. with Melissa here. Time really flies, as you can tell. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to take a little break and we'll be right back with Outlook on Radio Western. Welcome back to Outlook here today on Radio Western. We are speaking with Melissa from Alberta, and the show has been flying by. Yeah, we're all hydrated and ready to go. <laughs> Doing awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Melissa, again. Uh, I did want to ask you, uh, this is always a bit of a strange question, but try to get a sort of a before and after thing. Um, <laughs> growing up, did you know any? Did you see anybody blind anywhere, or did you ever come across um, anyone? I don't recall, like, anyone at school having a visual impairment, but we had a neighbor across the road, an elderly, who was blind. Right. I bet. Yeah. I think that's about all I had experience with as, like, growing up, that I can remember anyways. Right, of course, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, obviously, um, blindness is quite common in elderly people, mm-hmm. so that's not uncommon. Uh, but I always think it's important. It's just interesting to talk to people. Um, but eventually, you almost spend have spent more of your life <laughs> doing this job that you're doing uh, than not. Mm-hmm. But it is it is funny to me that uh, your brother and our sister met and got married, and so you would have met us before you got this student of yours so uh who knew it is kind of strange isn't it (laughs) you didn't get to know us and think hey you know i gotta i gotta work with people that are blind that's fabulous it wasn't all us that (laughs) just a coincidence it was definitely a coincidence yeah and that's not the first time i've had people ask me what I do for a living. And then they're just like, wow, I've never met anyone that's done that before. And how did you get into that? You must know someone in your family that's blind. I'm like, well, yeah, I do, but I didn't know them before. <laughs> like they're my, <laughs> you must my sister-in-law and sister and brother. So, but yeah, wow. they're just like, wow, how, how would you get into something like that? Right? Like everyone's got the same question. And yeah. I like guess- even, even I have that question. I just wonder like, well, for one, how common it, it is these days and how many students are getting this, this help that they do need growing up like we did. And um, it, it is, I always wonder that. And um, being out there in Alberta, do you know of other blind people? Like, I know you I work d- with this student specifically, I, but. I don't know many blind people, but I have uh, the blind community, the other EAs across northern Alberta, we get together on Zoom meetings and we have like a Google chat and all that so we can support each other if anytime we have a question and all our students are all different range ages 
and I'm with one of the older students, so I get approached quite often asking questions about, you know, the Romeo embosser and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> but um, as for knowing other people that are blind, we have another student in my school who's blind, but she's also nonverbal. And I think, I don't know for sure, but I think has other medical issues as well. Mm-hmm. And she's younger. Um, and she's in like a special needs class. She's not integrated. And then I know there's a boy who is blind in another town just outside of my town. It's only about 15 minutes away. But yeah, in the whole blind community that we talked to, I think there was only eight students in total in the whole northern Alberta. And like right. like we've said, there it's not at nearly as common being born blind or being blind at that young of an age than it is if you're older. So the chance, mm-hmm. the, the amount of people is going to be pretty, pretty small, but it is, it is, I think that's really neat that you have that. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, it would make sense that you would, but the, the connection with the other EAs there um, to yeah, at least be able to share tips. It's very and, beneficial. Yeah. <laughs> we support each other. And, uh, oh, there was this other student in the high school I worked at, not when I worked there, but I think, not too long after I worked there, she lost her vision. Okay. Just all of a sudden. And she was in grade 10. So was, I don't know. I don't think she ever was a Braille user. I think she tried. And then I think everything was just audio. Yes. Well, Brian and I talk a lot about all those things uh, on Outlook. Uh, as we, too, are in favor of integration uh, but then the question sort of comes, you know, making sure that the student is, their needs are being met and they're not, they're not being too forcefully pushed into quote unquote normal, normalcy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know how you found that balance um, in your years of working, if you know what I mean. I do know. So like my student being integrated into quote unquote normal classes um you know every teacher is different too so then you have one year one teacher thinks oh I don't know if they should go into an integrated class next year and then you have other teachers are like fighting for them to go into an integrated class next year so that's a challenge is the teachers because they have the overall say well yeah um but I have so much support from our visual impairment consultant she's always pushing for him to be in the same class with his peers that he's grown up with all these years. It's in his mm-hmm. best interest, right? And Yeah, you yeah. really do need people pushing for that. And it's interesting to see it from the other side because we grew up and our mom specifically pushed for that when we were growing up, but we were so young, we don't really remember it. So it's it's nice to see that people are still, and again, it's it's a situational thing. Some people the school, the schools that are out there for the blind work work for some people, but it's it's good to have that option and and uh, good good to see that people are still being integrated. And you know, Ontario obviously there are things that are different uh, one from province to province, but yes, a lot did, does depend on the teachers. And uh, you know, saying this to anybody who may be listening, uh, <laughs> who is a teacher, um, obviously you know having to these days again it is harder that you know there's more being paid to each individual student and some of the their needs that they have and and then you know the term whether you should use the term special needs and all these things for these kids that uh 
but I, I just think being that it's uh, the summer flying by here and we're already in August uh, and school is the talk of the town these days, I wanted to have Melissa on, uh, as Brian and I have been saying, just because uh, for anybody who's listening who doesn't know that this, this job is a thing, <laughs> if they never gave much thought or had to give much thought as to how students who are blind uh, do in school. Uh, I think it's great to, that we talk about this, so especially as there's a new year revving up here. Uh, but, um, yeah, so you've been here with your student for how many years now? Eight years. Eight, yeah. So, like, what you see, you said that sort of before, how it's almost like becomes like family, and we noticed that too growing up. Um, how has your relationship with your student sort of uh, grown over the years? Um. I don't know how to explain it really. I guess it's hard to think back. It's almost like it's been the same the whole time. But mm -hmm. when he was young, like, you know, kindergarten, grade one, grade two, very, uh, a lot of maturity still need to, to catch up with his other peers. Mm -hmm. But now that he's matured and kind of more aware of himself and so his social skills, I think our relationship is built definitely much stronger. Um, I notice, like, if I'm absent, for example, he struggles, <laughs> definitely. Mm -hmm. He prefers me being there. Um, and I think a lot of it is just because I know how to work with him. I know I can sense when he's done. I know when to take a break. I know what language to use that's going to help him get to the next step type of thing so yeah I think these eight years of consistency has definitely helped with our relationship and then helped with his education because if you don't have a relationship with the student then it's pretty hard to teach them anything <laughs> yeah and like that's what is nice um, having somebody who's there year after year um, you know normally you know you have a teacher for a year maybe two years and some some classes and then then you move along, uh, st student and teacher. And yeah, I, I haven't talked to a lot of teachers here on the show, but to know um, what that's like to form, you know, relationships with your students, depending on how many you have in your class, but for one year and then you have to, you know, here comes a whole new set. Um, but yeah, Brian and I can both probably uh, attest to the fact that we were like that too, that, you know, we are, we were so used to uh, having our, um, teacher's assistant or whatever you called her um, in the classroom and then when she was absent and there was someone new doing it differently uh, it was it was hard right Bri? Yeah and I mean I, I was I was a bit luckier I guess in high school the fact that my teacher from uh, elementary school um, ended up working with me in high school more more part-time because I was a bit older and could do more things independently and she just came in and out. But I know with you, Carrie, you had different people pretty much every year, I think, in high school. And you're a bit older then, so it's it's definitely more important, I think, in elementary school to have have the same the same person if you can. Um, but at the, at the same time, even in high school, it isn't easy if it's someone new every year. So, um, yeah. yeah, so do you have any idea how long you will work with your student? Because like I said, it's different in each province. and and uh... The plan is all the way to grade 12. Hmm. So, That's great. Yeah. yeah. And he'll be going into grade 8 next this uh, September. So one more year of junior high. Well, 
It's kind of funny because technically grade nine is still junior high, but they're housed in a house in a high school. Yeah, we didn't really call it junior high here. Yeah, so, I always yeah. heard that term, but we never quite used that here in yeah. Ontario. When we, we so outside. one more year at the school that he's been at his whole life, and then we're off to high school. <laughs> Back to the school that I started at. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. So it will be familiar for you. What about him? Have do you, does he, is he going to start learning that, that school? Or? Yeah, closer to the end of uh, grade eight, we'll start going there and doing O&M at this high school. Although I do think they're building a new high school, so hmm. it might be all new to me as well. Oh, okay. yeah. Right. So like you also said there, um, teachers, working with different teachers every year, they have different ideas. And, you know, some of them have, like I said, when I asked you that question, have, have met other blind people in their, their um, day, but they haven't had them in a classroom. So that can be uh, an adjustment and some are more flexible than others, which mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen that over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would you say you've learned over these years about yourself working with your student? What have I learned about myself working with my student? Um, I learned that I didn't know much about blindness until I worked with him, definitely. And I learned that people with visual impairment are just as capable to do anything just the same as you and I. Maybe before that, before that, I maybe thought, like, oh, he can't look at this or he can't read that or, you know. So I've learned Mm -hmm. those small things. Um, I've learned a lot of patience. (laughs) Right. I've learned about sighted guide, which I think is really, really one of the most important things. If you don't know anything about blindness, I think sighted guide is kind of cool to know because I don't know, there's been a few times in my life now where I have ran into someone I didn't know that was blind who may needed help, Hmm. like support sighted guide somewhere. And maybe I didn't know how to do that. So I think that's a cool thing to learn. Um, I've learned that there's different types of blindness. That's right. one thing I didn't know about. How? Because I honestly just thought you were blind or you weren't blind or you just couldn't see very well. And uh, my visual consultant, she has a stimulate. Uh, what's it called? They have like these little goggles with the little lenses they can put in. Uh-huh. Uh, so you can see kind of kind of get more right. of an understanding of what their vision might be like. And there was like 20 different slides. I was like, wow, I didn't know there was that many different blindness, types of blindness. Wow. So that's something I've learned. Um, I've also learned in the last few years how to step back and let my student show me what he can do. That's a big one, too. And not even just with blindness, but with any student. Sometimes you transferred what you learned to helping with the other students when you help with with Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when you you work with a student that needs extra support, you just, you have so much empathy and you just want to help and help in as many ways as you can. But then when you get a student with blindness, sometimes you can overhelp, right? Yeah, Definitely. absolutely. We've gone through that with throughout life with with teachers, but also a lot in just 
daily lives with the public and people in general. Um, and it's, it's like you say too, as, as someone gets older to be able to f start being more independent, they won't necessarily do that unless they're kind of put in that situation. So even mm -hmm. though it's, it's tempting and you want to, you, you care about the person and you want them to do well and you want to always be help. You want to help as best you can. You also, part of that is not always helping too, I guess. So it's a definitely a balance to, to figure mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And that's what all, that's what all teachers should be. And that's what all children need when they're in school. They need someone to uh, be invested in them, not just, not just there for a paycheck, but to truly, um, you know, get to know them and for blind students specifically, but um, for everyone to, to get to know these students individually. And yeah, like you said, you, pr you pretty much can read him mm -hmm. <laughs> the book after all these years of working together. Oh, yes. And I still love working with him. I'm looking forward to the next, what do we have? Five more years. <laughs> yeah, but you never know. You never know what adventures never know. will go on That's right. together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so again, everybody, you're listening to Outlook today. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, our guest is Melissa here. And um, obviously not everybody's going to get to know blindness up close uh, because not everybody will have the same job that you have um, but I wanted to talk about this stuff to make people aware plus you're right a lot of people do have the, that kind of question and, and even Brian and I you know we're curious about how you got your job and how that works in different provinces in, in Canada but um, just to know how somebody finds themselves in this sort of job because it is needed and uh, we don't want to hear that we're running running out of people who are, are willing to uh, take this sort of job and, and learn all they can from it, like you you clearly have with Braille and so many things. Mm -hmm. What have you found the hardest part of it to teach? Like, are you a techie person? Are you, obviously love Braille, but... I wouldn't say I'm a techie person, but I wouldn't say I'm not a techie person. So what's the most challenging thing? I think teaching of math on like on the Perkins is the most challenging thing right now because it just takes so much patience and um, ambition like you gotta want to learn it so to learn to find a way to reel him in to think this is cool and interesting that's I think one of the most challenging parts of it all Right. Learning the Braille becomes... wasn't challenging at all. I love it. It's so easy. <laughs> like the rules are hard to remember, but I just have my UEB rule book and I just look nice. it up quick and easy. And, you know, like, and I only have to do that when I second guess myself. So, yeah, the Braille part was easy. The challenging part of it all is teaching the Braille to a student who isn't, who doesn't quite have the skills yet. And that's mm -hmm. the thing is, it's something I've always considered too, is like, oh, I love Braille so much and I want it to continue on. And I think it's so important that it's something I've considered like, oh, it'd be interesting to teach someone Braille. But the idea of the whole thing about it is I'm not a teacher and I've, I've never really taught anyone. And it's, I can't imagine actually teaching someone Braille. And it's, it would be tough for me in the sense, I think that I like it so much and I'm so confident with it, but the other person probably won't be. So it's, it's kind of separating the, the two, two from each other, like putting yourself in their mm -hmm. position and 
and not uh I don't know I just I think teaching is so fascinating because it seems like I don't know such such a skill to it any any little teaching even even when I've tried to show carry things um <laughs> techno on t- technology and stuff like that it's I don't know it's it's a tough it's a tough job so there's I respect you and every every teacher out there so much because yeah it's well, thank but, you. <laughs> but it is weird these days with how much technology is a part of things to, to picture what classrooms are like now. As you said, every student's got a uh, an iPad or a Chromebook. or Yeah. But the cool part is the one day, so they all had their laptops out and they're all typing up an essay. And my student has the whole keyboard mental mapped and he can type quickly and quite well, whereas the other students are one finger searching mm. for the keys on the keyboard and then they look over at him and they're like what how does he know where all the keys are <laughs> and they're just fascinated by it and so those are pretty cool opportunities to show the rest of the students too that you know just because someone has a visual impairment doesn't mean they can't do the same things you do if not better <laughs> yeah it's always yeah, it's always good to we see talk about that examples like that yeah that so people can realize that you know, you might think, oh, yeah, I don't have that person doesn't have sight, so they don't have this and this. But really, that's just one of their characteristics, and they have many other um, things about them that they have to offer. And some of these things, they might be ahead of you in certain areas, just like you would be ahead of someone in in some areas and and not in others. So that's right. And sometimes we just got to remind them. And I like you use the you <laughs> you um you've got all a lot of professional type terms i guess that most people would know i think the most recent one you said was what did you which how do you word it mental mental mapping yeah i've heard variations of the term because brian and i both um i've heard that actually a lot recently um there's a training center in british columbia called the pacific training center for the blind um and they they talked about mental mapping a lot there in regards to the the orientation mobility um and I don't know, is that, is that something you do at all with, with your student as far as maps that aren't, like not, not referring to math, but just maps in general, or is that all based in the mobility part of it? Um, I just know so it's when a he, tactile thing. That... Yeah, when he was younger, we would mental map the whole school and we would have like little magnet boards and then we'd set up little tactile magnets on it, just how it would be in the hallways and have our landmarks and doorways and windows and all that type of thing. But as he's got older, like we've been in the same school all these years, so he has it all mental map. We don't have to really create those maps anymore. But when he moves on to the high school, we might create a tactile map again. We'll see. I don't know. He might be mature enough at that age to just pick up on the landmarks right in front of him. Yeah, I mean, there's a technique um, to learning to to, to to being able to, re, you know, field tactile maps, I guess. Um, but yeah, it is a very important term that Melissa brings up um, uh, because, I mean, sure, there are things that you can't do if you can't see. But yeah, like you said, students or teacher might think, well, if you're blind, if you can't see the keyboard, then how are you going to, how are you going to know where the keys are to type? Um well, how I does a pianist I'm... play a music right. without looking exactly. at the keys, right? Yeah, the, the keyboard <laughs> example is... Plucking, is... strumming the strings, right? The keyboard example is really interesting because I've I've heard a lot of people talk before about the t- 
tap tapping with one finger throughout the keyboard and to me i just kind of think like why would anyone do that but again i think it's it's when you can see or you're probably just like i can see all the letters here and you don't maybe think about memorizing whereas blind people like memorizing is such a big part of every day so it's it, i think it's just it was taught when we were kids and i i mm -hmm. type with the, the home row and all that as well so mm -hmm. but i think if you've taught if you and um the school he's been in and everybody that have been t teaching him mental mapping all these years, then I think he'll be all right. <laughs> Cause I think that is a huge skill that every blind person depends on. And a lot, uh, if you're sighted and you haven't had to think about it, you might not realize all the things you can uh, picture and, and, and imagine in your mind um, to know where, where on a keyboard your letters are. Mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, that's great. Um, so we're coming down to the last five minutes or so so carrie i don't know yeah i was just gonna um, still get in. sort of close things a little bit by talking about the present situation we're all in uh, hopefully you're doing all right with uh this uh, covid stuff but um I, I just know a lot of parents right now are worried and trying to decide what's best for their kids and every province has got different things going on what's um ahead for you is it all very up in the air or do you feel uh well looking forward to this year <laughs> <laughs> i'm a little nervous to be honest um the vibes i kind of get from our community are not um as safe and serious as i'd hope they'd be right uh we don't see much mask wearing or anything like that uh People are still going out and to restaurants and all that. I don't know what it's like in Ontario, but since day one, I feel like not many people have taken it too serious around here. So I have, uh, I find that a little hard. And then we did just get announced that schools are reopening okay. with full capacities and we will just try to physical distance as possible. So I'm not too sure what that's going to look like. I know some parents are eager to get their kids back into school and others are saying they're going to keep their kids home. Right. So um, we'll see what happens, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I think school starts September 1st. I go back on the 27th of oh. August. <laughs> and so I'm sure in those first few days when we're back, we'll have a plan and figure everything out. Now back when this all started happening back in March and April, did, did this school there shut down and how did that yes so how, how did it go from then i know that was halfway through the through the the term so i don't know were you doing yes. virtual stuff with with the student at all or how did how did all that go yes so march 13th was their last day in school and then the schools were canceled that was a friday and i think it took a week or two for them to kind of get a plan and figure things out and then we started virtual online learning and so they do a Google Classroom where the teacher would submit all the assignments that had to be done that day and kind of a breakdown of how many minutes you should focus on each thing, and, you know, et cetera. So my student and I would get together every day on Google Hangout Meets for half an hour to an hour. And we would focus just on math. Mm. And then his parents would help him with science and LA. And 
at the beginning, he was doing social studies as well, but it just got too overwhelming too much because his mom and dad were still working full time and trying to teach him all these lessons (laughs) and submit them. And they weren't very tech users either. So then to learn all how to submit assignments on Google Classroom and all that was quite a learning curve, but we made it through. And I was actually quite impressed with how well we did, actually. Right, because some students really struggle. And again, it depends on what kind of help they have. We've been trying to sort of highlight um, what this pandemic's been like for blind people, some of the additional issues, and then also now uh, just getting to talk to you about how it might be for a blind student um, who has different needs and does things mm-hmm. in different ways and is used to being, uh, like you said, to be back in school mm-hmm. in September in person with them, but with your student. But uh, yeah, it's different for everybody. So, mm-hmm. and I I don't know what if you want to say anything about you know. We'll be thinking about you because, yeah, I mean, I, you know, all these essential type jobs and, and, and even what you do is essential. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, like you said, some parents have things to, to consider and are going to see how it goes and put their kids back in school and some aren't. But, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry, I just have my dog here in the background. Yeah, I can hear, <laughs> hear dog. Dog, totally audience. <laughs> Uh, he, uh... yeah, I don't know. I think it is what it is, and we're all just going to have to try our best to stay positive and stay safe and stay physically distanced. <laughs> and, um, yeah, just yeah. take it day by day. It's all about, like we, happens. It's like all about like adapting. Out, well, we'd like to point out how... People, when you're when you when you were um, growing up with with uh, one of your senses gone or you know your trouble with your some of your senses, then you become very adaptable. And I assume you know to be a good um, teacher assistant like you are with your student, you have to be adaptable also. So I guess Definitely. that's what this pandemic will teach us all. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this hour flew right by. Thanks so much, Melissa, for coming on all the way from Alberta. Thank you for thinking of me. I feel very honored. Well, we're, we're really glad, glad to know you. So, Well, I'm glad to know you guys, too. I can't Great. wait to see you again. Yeah, we'll yeah, see you in person sure. soon. Okay, well, you guys take care. Thank yep. you all so right. much. Okay. You too. Bye. Bye, Melissa. Bye. Find us on Twitter at OutlookCFB and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western.